Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. So I have a question for you, and that's how do you get a busy marketing leader to give you or your agency the time of day? You can have everything perfectly positioned. You could have all the case studies in the world, and still they might not talk to you if they were not actively looking for an agency right now. So what do you do? Because you know that you have to be opening these doors consistently and early so that you are the shoe in when that need actually arises and so that you can actually encourage a solution to the problem that the brand might be experiencing. But how do you open that door to begin with? Well, it's a simple yet difficult task and its simplicity lies into sending the right words to the right people. The problem is most agencies never figure out how to do it at scale. So they remain tethered to sporadic referrals, RFP, dog and pony shows, and other stuff that tends to create a feast and famine dynamic. To get beyond this, many agencies spin their wheels even more on start and stop campaigns, and they just sort of end up as the cobbler's children forever. They, they serve their clients well, but they don't effectively market themselves. So instead of overcomplicating the sales process and trying to do everything under the sun, what if you had a repeatable process for simply opening doors, for de-risking conversations with busy and skeptical prospects? Today, I'd like to give you something that's going to help in a big way, and it's basically 10 effective agency-to-brand email templates that we have developed from thousands of campaigns. You can get that by going to saleschema.com slash templates, plural. Again, that's saleschema.com slash templates. As a little disclaimer, this lead magnet will not completely solve the problem of getting repeatable new business, but it's going to be a big step in the right direction since a little inspiration can go a long way. So that's saleschema.com slash templates. Again, saleschema.com slash templates. Today on the podcast, we have Dennis Yu. So Dennis is the CEO of Blitzmetrics, which is a digital marketing company which partners with schools to train young adults. He's also the CTO of Cairo Revenue, which is a digital marketing company that helps chiropractors with their online efforts, uh, connects with clients, and also helps them manage their content. He's also a former Yahoo search engine engineer focusing on optimizing ads and analytics across search and social. So I found this to be a really compelling interview, and I, I really tried to kind of steer it into a bigger kind of macro direction, because I think a lot of what Dennis has laid out is really um, a sort of process-based way um, in terms of content creation, in terms of all sorts of various digital marketing tasks that I think has really strong potential to bring vast swaths of people uh, into the marketing world. So that's you can kind of see that's where I tried to steer this. Um, into these sort of bigger macro issues and sort of bringing, you know, the Andrew Yang thing and the, you know, what happens when the the robots take over to the marketing world. And kind of, I think Dennis, you know, really lays out a, a window into how, how this could pan out just based on all the work that he's do, doing at Blitz. Without further ado, please give it up for Dennis Yu. Dennis, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, pleasure, Dan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess to start out with, I'd love to just learn a little bit and for, for those that don't know about what you're up to at Blitz these days and uh, and, and uh, the, the chiropractor business as well, just kind of what you're doing there. Well, our business has grown like crazy. On the chiropractor side, we went from 10 clients to 73 clients in the last few months. 
And I wanted to share what some of those techniques are because I see a lot of agencies where they're hurting. This, the, this is the best time ever for digital marketing agencies. And part of what we did was we put out some training together with partners like Snapchat and Vendasta and Digital Marketer and other folks that have a lot of communities of folks who want to learn marketing, not just agencies, but people who own businesses and shifting to webinars. I remember when this whole thing happened in March, I had 14 keynote speeches that were lined up through the summer and they were in some really cool places. I'd never been internationally and all that got shut down. And so we had to pivot and learn about video and learn about webinars and learn about how to build communities online, like using Facebook groups. We got into things like YouTube video and in some ways it was a blessing for us. And I would love to see other agencies use the same techniques we found that helps us actually deepen relationships with clients, drive more results for clients because when things are worse, that drives, and we're hospitals, that drives more patients into our emergency rooms, if that makes sense, right? There's never been a greater need for digital marketing than now. And if we're competent, if we have our operations together, this is a time where we can help a lot of people and grow our businesses. Yeah. And with that in mind, can you talk a little bit about what day-to-day, just kind of what you're actually doing and what that training looks like at Blitz and beyond? Yeah, we have... 18 different courses that help three different types of people. So we put out courses that are for the businesses themselves and we call that the social amplification engine. And it shows these businesses how to build a real digital marketing strategy based on checklists. So how to set up things like digital plumbing, which is all the tracking and remarketing and optimization goals, content and targeting, which is your strategy. Those are three components that most people get wrong. Amplification, which is how do you, get uh, of the things that are working well, how do you get more out of them? So things like remarketing or advertising or cross posting are all what we call amplification. And then optimization is how do you look at the data and tune it and businesses they, a lot of them will take that and be able to run with it. And other folks, they can't get that done and they want someone else to do it because if you're a chiropractor, you want to focus mainly on helping your patients. But if you're too small, you're brand new and you don't want to hire an agency for a couple thousand dollars a month, you can certainly try to do it yourself through VA. So we show how we actually do that. We have another course called the digital marketing training system, where if you're a digital marketing specialist or you want to be one, then you can get a certification. And if you have that certification, we will pair you with clients at no cost. And we think of that as like a supply and demand. And when we launched this in March, we took our program that we normally charged $5,000 for, and we made it free. And we thought, why not? So we had several thousand people sign up and a ton of them made it all the way through to the end to get their certification. And we paired them with clients. And there's a number of folks that have started their agencies just in the last six months. And it makes me so proud to be able to see that. Sure. So that makes sense. So you're, you're kind of at the center section, like a lot of businesses on the, on the supply and the demand side. So first, let's talk about the supply side a little bit. Can you talk about kind of who you're, who, who you're looking for in terms of who you're recruiting from to run these campaigns, how you're identifying talent and all that, that good stuff. We, we think of it like a restaurant where there are cooks and there's waiters and the waiters are client focused. They know the menu, they know how to talk about it, but they're also consultative so they can make recommendations. They can look at a client's website and figure out a few things that are wrong with it. They can look at a client, a potential client's digital marketing presence and say, it looks like Mr. Englander, 
your issue, why you don't rank on chiropractic uh, plus Chicago, Illinois, is because you don't have enough reviews and your website loads slow and you're not making one minute videos. So that's not showing up in social and in looking at your Google analytics, I can see a couple of these other things are broken, or I can see that this is your best piece of content and we should try to do more of that. So a, a waiter or what we call an account manager or an agency owner is skilled at working with the clients. We have training on how to work with the client, how to diagnose, make recommendations and set the right expectations. So not just to close the deal, but to actually be able to deliver results by having the right diagnosis. And the other side are the cooks in the kitchen who are the virtual assistants. These are people we hire from the Philippines, from onlinejobs.ph, from Rocket Station, from Negocios University, which is also big in the Philippines. That includes Fancy Hands and Fiverr and Upwork and other places, but mostly from onlinejobs.ph. And these are VAs, virtual assistants, that start out at $2 an hour in our system, then $3, $5, and they move up as they gain more skills. And what they do is video editing. They create landing pages. They set up Google ad campaigns. They set up Facebook campaigns. They do reports. They do all the mechanical pieces that most people that are good with clients just don't know how to do. And we find that most, and not to stereotype, but generally most Americans where they, when they own their agency, it could be Canadians, they're good at the client relationship side, but they're horrible when it comes to fiddling with WordPress, setting up Google tag manager, doing stuff in Premiere and you know Final Cut Pro. They just don't know how to use these other tools. And we find that the people who are really good at the tools, they live halfway across the planet and they don't have the client relationship skills. So if we can bring both of those together, then we make everybody happy. So we have cooks and we have waiters. And that is our model for a successful restaurant. But it all ties together with the menu. So as an agency, as a restaurant owner, you have to have a menu. You can't have a client that comes in and says, oh, today I feel like lobster and steak. And tomorrow they say, I feel like having a hoagie sandwich. Like you can't do. Most agencies allow the client to request anything. And that's a recipe for disaster because the waiters don't know how to behave and the cooks can't make that food. Everything in our kitchen is on the menu. We do not deviate from the menu. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's a great way to think about it. And there's, there's a few things I want to dig into there. Um, so I guess the first, the first thing is, you know, there's obviously a trend towards, towards automation. It seems like with, with Facebook, with these ad platforms, there's less and less that you have the ability to do. There's fewer mm-hmm. knobs you can turn and so mm-hmm. on. So I, thinking a little bit bigger, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what are those areas that you think will be replaced by, by robots or by something mm-hmm. else? And what are the areas that you think will be evergreen and, and timeless and so on? I've probably been to Facebook's headquarters over a hundred times in the last 12 years. And automation is a common topic of discussion. And I've worked with the engineering teams there all across the planet. And here's the way Facebook's looking at it. They want to make it easier for people that are running ad campaigns to find success. Success means driving more sales, which then means people are going to reinvest money back into the system Five or six years ago, there were 37 different objectives and they were not business objectives. If you can imagine when you created an ad campaign, for example, you can create one inside search results or you have this one called post page engagement, which is actually one that's still there. And thus, if it's not tied to the business result, it makes it hard because then we as ad people have to optimize. 
So the, the business owner, the ads manager, whoever it is, that person's got to learn how to optimize. So the goals they've set to business goals in a three-stage funnel of awareness, consideration, and conversion, of which the most important one is conversion or leads or store visits, right? So that's key when you can pass back, when you can choose a business goal and pass back data, such as through the pixel that allows the system to optimize for you. That's goals. Content. Facebook is coming up with ways to auto-generate content based on your reviews, based on images that you have, creating collages based on images so that they turn into videos, creating content in multiple formats so it works automatically in vertical 15-second Instagram stories across all placements, for example, and targeting because of lookalike audiences, because of the pixel. The system is figuring out what targets are working without you having to specify interest targets. So the fact that a lot of targeting has been leaving the last few years is actually not a cause for concern as long as we're able to optimize to a conversion. That being said, goals, content, and targeting are the three components that are necessary for campaign success. And Facebook has automated the goals and the targeting side. All that's left is content. So now if you're a pro level optimizer, driving real business results, your focus is content and your main focus inside content is video, feeding video into the machine. Last year with Ashley Furniture, who's the world's largest furniture retailer, world's largest furniture manufacturer, way bigger than Ikea because they have way more stores than Ikea, by the way. A lot of people are like, oh, is Ikea bigger? Each store is bigger, but Ashley's got way more stores. They were running to reach and impressions, just like they would with TV and radio and print. And we switched it to store visits. And we knew from our data that a store visit is worth $27 to $30 because of someone who comes into the store, about a third of them buy. And when they buy, it's $2,500 for their average purchase. When we switched to store visit as the objective, we made video content and one minute videos of the different sales associates using their cell phones, not fancy TV commercial kinds of stuff. And then we changed the targeting to just be geo-targeting plus custom audiences. The ROI shot up like crazy. We went to a 20, 28 ROAS. So every dollar we spent, $28 in revenue, spend a million dollars, generate $28 in revenue. And we were passing back point of sale information as offline conversions. So we're taking all the actual sales that occurred, passing back the name, address, and phone number, and Facebook's matching that back to tell us how many sales we got because we're optimizing to an in-store visit and seeing of those people that became an in-store visit, how many actually purchased. We looked at the content that was necessary to drive people into the store. We saw that there was a difference between people who would see some content. They would see a couch. They would see a dining room table. They would see something. And then the person who'd come into the store would be the husband, for example. So the wife would see it and she would need permission to make that kind of purchase from the husband. So we were able to design campaigns that took that into account. And only if we had the analytics would we know that that was the case, right? So that's an example of how Facebook is making it easier. I almost feel like by telling you guys this, I'm working in, you know, in PR for Facebook, trying to say Facebook is not this difficult, ugly beast that's making things too hard. But I also don't like Facebook for many other reasons because they don't have much support. And a lot of our accounts get shut down. We've had hundreds of accounts get shut down in the last couple of months with nobody to talk to. Right. And the thing that's going on right now, depending on when you're listening to this on with the iOS 14 controversy, right. where 
a lot of Apple users are going to be shut out or Facebook data, you know, for personalization, meaning retargeting and what, the, what Facebook calls core audiences will not be available when this update releases. Cause most people are going to say, no, I do not want to give you know, Facebook all this data. The, the beauty is Facebook has automated so much and made it so much easier for us as advertisers that if we understand their system, which is put short little videos inside the system, don't make complex campaigns, choose business objectives, right? You'll win. But at the same time, they make it hard to win because they keep auto banning people. So I, I'm kind of mixed about Facebook. They're automating the campaign optimization and they're automating the banning of accounts because they don't want to hire another 5,000 salespeople or account managers. So the very automation they're using to be smarter is the automation that's hurting us. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so I kind of understand the argument where you can build a process around goals. You can build a process around targeting. They could potentially automate those things. Yeah. I mean, for, for what you guys do, how, how feasible is it really to build a process around content? I mean, isn't, isn't it sort of the situation where the storytelling and the thing that's most valuable Mm-hmm. is is valuable because it's hard and it's hard because it's valuable. So I guess like, what are your thoughts yeah. on being able to make that into something that's repeatable? So back to, so this question plus back to the earlier question, I'm going to answer in a slightly different way. If it can be automated, then spam bots can do it. And you, when you look at the engineers at Facebook and Google, most of them are building tools to catch bad behaving players that are spitting up lots of fake Facebook pages, lots of fake websites. That's what my job was 20 years ago at Yahoo was because I built the analytics there is to catch people trying to trick our system. And these people are called SEOs, right? They want to manipulate the system. And there are people that will do that on Facebook sites. So even though most of us were honest, we all just want to grow our businesses. We want to help our clients. There's no easy way for Facebook to determine whether you're a spammer or not. But people who use automated tools at scale, they look like spammers. People who create lots and lots of unnecessary ad campaigns become unnecessary spammers because they're flooding the auction with lots of garbage, with more things that they have to process. They spin up a lot of garbage web pages that that are auto-generated, where they're auto-blogging by, let's say, your chiropractor in Downers Grove, Illinois, and... You don't know any better, but you have an agency who says, yeah, you know, I sign up for my automated service and every week I will post a new newsletter article or whatever on your site. I mean, that sounds good. Shoot, I don't want to have to write an article every time and you've got this automatic way of doing it. Why not? They don't realize they're contributing to the auto spam. And do you think Google can spot that? Of course they can. Do you think Facebook can spot that stock art that's being used in an ad? Of course they can, right? So the video is how you show the engines. And and when I mean engine, I mean, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Amazon, any, anything that has to sort among content to show you a a little, little bit of what's available, you know, Spotify, that's an engine because it's only going to show you some of the things based on what it thinks you like. So video content is the hardest thing to fake. So that's a great signal to the engines Two, It's actually more personable. It, it, It contains something about who you are. Right. And, as an agency, it's tough to collect that from the clients. And the biggest complaint I hear is, oh, I can't get the client to make the videos and whatnot. You're just not approaching it the right way. You're forcing them to try to pull out their phone and do a selfie Gary Vaynerchuk style. That's very hard. Get them on a Zoom like we have right here and interview them. Teach someone in their front office to be able to collect videos 
as part of the, the operations process. Our buddy Tommy Mello runs the largest home services agency or lar- largest home services business in the United States. He grew from nothing to $50 million. And part of it is he takes his techs, the people that install techni- or install garage doors. And when they're done, they go to Sally and say, hey, Sally, you know, what do you think? And she says, oh, this is amazing. Awesome. Well, part of my pay is based on collecting videos, you know, collecting little 15 second videos of customers. Would you mind if what you just said, I could ask you that again, you could just say it right here. Right. She says, why? Sure. Okay. Sally, how did, how did you feel about today's experience? Oh, it it was so great, Dan, that you came over and you came on time. And I liked how you got everything done well, and you were very courteous. And I really like working with you and a one garage has been really good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sally. Right. What advice would you just one more question? What advice would you have for anyone who any of your friends, maybe who are considering getting their garage doors repaired? Oh, I would definitely use a one to if my garage door needed repairs. I tell my friends about that. Thank you so much, Sally. This means a lot to me. And my boss, you know, is, is asking me to get, you know, we're, we're going for 10 reviews every week. And you just gave me another one. Thank you so much. So building right. into the process, right? Collecting yeah. videos like that. Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense, and it seems like there's a way that a lot more businesses could could do that at, at, in more scale and and so on. I guess what I'm curious about is like how much, um, how, how easy do you think it is, or hard is it to find somebody that can actually come up with these unique campaigns, you know, that are going to be a pat because because it seems it seems to me that a lot of the challenge is creating these pattern interrupts and not just creating the pattern interrupt once, but you yeah. got to do it, you know, all the time be effective and the break through the noise. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're thinking about finding talent there. If you're even thinking about finding talent, we're, we're hiring tons of people. Yeah. And even those that don't qualify, we we want them to still start their agencies and succeed. And we want the agency owners to the, the clients themselves to succeed. And often they just take it in their own hands and they become agency owners, which is really cool. A common misconception in digital is the idea that you have to come up with this new idea every single time. You have to come up with something to talk about. You have to come up with some clever idea that's never been done before. Well, if you're a dentist and you fix teeth and people have pain and they need whiter teeth, they need straighter teeth, they have teeth that are in pain, the things that dentists do are the same across every city. I don't care if you're in Orange County or New York or Seattle, it's the same thing. So when we get the dentist to talk about the stories of how they became a dentist or what the experience is like, or what is it like today? Or what is it like to have a one day root canals or using a C-REC machine or tell the story of one of your favorite patients? We, we have these, I don't want to say templated campaigns, but they are of questions that we can ask and people can fill in the blank. And that's all we need to do. We don't have to come up with, for chiropractors, we have 150 content campaigns where they just have to answer a particular question. And these are questions we know that if they're answered, will work well. As long as the video is being collected properly, as long as they don't make some of the cardinal sins and you know how you, you collect the video, it works really well. And what we need is someone, so that goes back to the menu they're fixed items on the menu and the waiter needs to be able to discuss the menu in a way that's intelligent with the client. And yeah, if we do that, that that's all we need to have. We can standardize, but it doesn't mean it's a robot. It right. gives us a framework to tell stories. Right. And I, I totally agree with that. And my guess is there's, there's all sorts of markets for things like dentistry and chiropractic that are not yet mature, right? Where if 
if there's just if somebody just does the basic repeatable stuff well, they're probably mm-hmm. going to do really well and take over their market. Yeah. Which kind of reminds me of like the idea of the internet being this this contraption that we're just starting to figure out. You know, it's not yeah. like there's anything anything brand new. It's just we're just finally starting to use it. Mm-hmm. And now with COVID and everybody going digital, mm-hmm. it's it's that that understanding is you know accelerated really quickly because we have to figure it out. Um, so I, I mean, I guess, I guess assuming you agree with that, and I know this is kind of thinking and speculating a bit. And um, wh- where do you where do you see it going? So let's say you know you're a dentist mm-hmm. in, in Denver, and you do everything that you're supposed to do. You're hiring people to make videos and create content. You're you're dominating mm-hmm. your market. All your competitors start doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're reaching this place where the creativity is now a lot more valuable. You know, mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear your thoughts on where this goes in the context of a, of a mature market, if that makes any sense. I don't believe that the market is mature. 20 years ago, when we started doing the local marketing for real estate agents and restaurants and dentists and all that, I thought, wow, by the year 2005, right? Five years later, it's going to be this competitive market and everyone's going to have their act together. It's 20 years later. And there, the level of sophistication is rudimentary. Anyone who can follow the basic techniques of making videos that are stacked into a three layer, right? Awareness, consideration, conversion, or why, how, and what, right? This three layer architecture that everyone uses, the foundation of Google, of Facebook, of LinkedIn, of Twitter, all of them rely upon this three layer campaign structure. If we can merely populate that with one minute videos and push those across these other channels, and make sure we have tracking in place to measure how many calls and store visits and revenue and things we have, we will win. It doesn't matter if you are in downtown Chicago and there's eight other dentists or real estate agents or whatnot within five miles of you. It doesn't matter because those are not your competitors. What you're doing is convincing someone who is in pain, who they want to buy a new house where they have some something where you as a service provider are alleviating some kind of pain or need or issue they have, right? You're a personal injury attorney and you want to get people who have been in an accident. Eh, technically, your competitors are other personal injury attorneys that put up billboards and are in the back of yellow page ads and are running things on Instagram. They're not actually your competitor because the market is much bigger than these other people. And I've done thousands of analyses, maybe tens of thousands. And I've rarely found in the world of local there to be such a competitive market that we're, that it's a thrashing of who can get them, you know, the hungry, hungry hippo, who can get the most clients or trying to beat the other guy where I do find that level of competition is an e-commerce because that's national level competition. But if you are a chiropractor in San Diego, the other chiropractors in San Diego, even though that's a major Metro are not sophisticated at all. Almost nobody is sophisticated in local marketing. I don't know where people got the idea thinking it was so difficult. In e-com, yes. In starting a business, yes. And finding good staff and training them up, yes, that's very difficult. But generating leads and traffic and all that is very simple. That's the easiest part. That's something we've done over and over again for the last 20 years. We have processes against it. If people can follow the recipe. So, Dan, what's your favorite food? Uh, I'll say uh, Szechuan food. Szechuan food. Okay. <laughs> so let's say a particular Szechuan dish, right? Uh, so let's say the one with my name. I'll say, uh, Dan, Dan noodles, Dan, Dan noodles. I like yeah. that. Right. And so maybe 
if you're like me, some people will hate on me, but I'll go to PF Chang's and order the Dan Dan noodles. <laughs> and I just happen to like that. I know it's not actual Asian. And you know that if you go into any PF Chang's and you order the Dan Dan noodles, you know what you're going to get, right? And certainly, do you think that cook in the back is some kind of expert? Uh, no. So he's following a process. No. Or she's okay. following so don't you think that the same thing applies for marketing, for local, for agencies, for anyone who's local? So anyone who's location driven. So anyone who's in a yellow pages category, not e-commerce, not national, but anyone who has customers that live within a five mile, 10 mile radius of their store location, don't you think that the recipe applies? For digital marketing. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. I, I think so. And I think that there is probably an argument that we should shouldn't have to worry about those markets becoming maturity anytime soon. But I guess I guess part of me is sort of like what's going to happen in the next few years as there's just more and more impetus to figure out uh, out digital, right? If yeah. if you have all the PF Chang or all the competitors of PF Changs or whoever, <laughs> now I'm lost in the metaphor, uh yeah. are looking at the same thing, then do you have a situation where yeah. you have to be I more creative going. quicker, you know? So there there is a real risk here. If you're an agency owner, automation will probably kill you because Facebook and Google, it's not that they want to kill you. It's that they need, in order for them to make more money for their shareholders, they have to drive results and get more ad dollars from the underlying businesses. And if you're an agency standing in the way because you are a poor optimizer, because you don't know how to create campaigns, the automation is going to take it away. And you guys have probably seen if you're larger that Facebook has account managing teams. They have a creative shop, for example, where they have an in-house ad agency that will do your creatives for free, that will do your videos, that will build your landing pages. It sounds too good to be true, but it is because we work with some huge brands. You know, it could be like the Nikes and the Red Bulls and Ashley Furniture. We have worked with creative shop. We've worked with, with Facebook's different teams and they are a better agency. They do it for free. And they have the trust of being from Facebook. How are you going to be able to beat that if you're an agency? Because you're not, you can't do it for free. <laughs> you're not Facebook. You don't have access to all the, because Facebook, it's not even fair. They have access to tools that we don't have. I, I see, like I meet with some friends and they show me some tool. I'm like, wow, where can I get that tool? No, sorry. That's an internal thing. Oh, okay. Well, and Google has internal tools, right? right. So if you don't get into the creative piece, with understanding how to tell stories through one minute videos, all these other components, you're going to get automated away. So there is a real risk because of automation, because if a robot can do it, if a VA can do it, then why would anyone pay you a premium to do it? Right? Yeah, I believe that a hundred percent. So I guess with that in mind, to get back to what you're talking about a second ago, what advice would you have to those agencies that are trying to build that, that menu for the first time? They've done a million different things. How do you build the menu? Start with ours. We have a menu that works. There's thousands of agencies that use our menus. And you could build your own. Some people want to do that because I want to be unique. Usually it's people that are graphics artists or they, they come, come from some sort of creative background and they feel that using any processes or checklists is somehow mechanical and boring and mindless. Well, if you really want to be creative. If you really want to have the open space to be able to come up with something new, you have to automate away the mundane. But if you're, if you don't have clear processes, you're going to waste all your time trying to get access, trying to figure out when you're going to meet clients and setting up zoom calls, you're going to blow all your time in the mundane and you'll have no time 
to be able to build that client relationship, to figure out how to tell the story in a more unique way. And that's the catch 22. Right. It's that, that sort of uh, fine line between the creative and the stuff that you can't repeat and the stuff that is, yeah. is repeatable. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and taking a step back to kind of to the way the, the sort of talent that you're finding, I, I know that you guys are doing a lot of training with, with young adults and yeah. with colleges and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much do you think that these sort of marketing tasks could be a way to get beyond, you know, um, people, you know, people becoming, uh, uh, um, replaceable, you know, <laughs> the idea that there's so many like retail is going away, yeah. uh, yeah. whatever driverless cars, trucks and stuff Andrew oh, yeah. deals with, like how much of a, of a, of a, of a clear path, you know, to solving this problem, do you think long-term these sort of tasks represent? I think that those mechanical tasks are 80 to 90% of the work that's being done now. And it's a shame because virtual assistants are doing it. Like you said, the analogy is Uber doesn't like their people. They just want to move to self-driving cars. So they grudgingly pay these workers while they, <laughs> the machine gets smarter. And Facebook and Google are like that, where they know that there are people that are running campaigns, but those will be automated. You know, most factories have no people in them. And you, you think of the idea of factories where there's all these people and the guy is putting the front left tire onto the Ford Explor- Explorer or whatever. like that stuff's being done by machines now. And if you break down your processes on how to drive sales for your clients, you're going to find 80 to 90% of those things can be done by robots, meaning software and virtual assistants who are basically like robots, right? They're just one step ahead of the software. So then the question is, what can you do that is worthwhile that won't be replaced anytime soon. And that is the connection with that small business owner where you're helping them produce video and you're doing coaching. Software can't do coaching. Software might as well be the Microsoft Bob paperclip giving you, hey, I see you're editing a resume. Would you like to you know, use a template, right? The little thing that pops up, right? And we created a training with Jake Paul, who's a influencer for young adults. He's got whatever, you know, 30 million followers on each of the different social networks. And it's called financial freedom movement. And for $20, a young adult or not so young adult can learn every step of the way and how, well, the way we position is that you, you can become a certified influencer. Cause if you want to be like Jake Paul and you want to get on video and you want to edit video and you want to be a YouTuber where you're reviewing toys and things like that, you need to learn some basic skills on how do you behave on camera, on how do you structure your topics, on how do you set up a YouTube channel, on how do you run ads on Facebook, on how do you do all these things. And so while they're learning on uh, while they're learning how to become a certified influencer, we say, you know, you maybe could get that product sponsorship from that favorite company that you have. Maybe you can get your local restaurants to give you a free dessert or whatnot. If you come in and say, I'm willing to take pictures and write reviews about it. If you give me a free meal or whatnot, but you could also go to businesses that, you know, you're, your barber, right? Who cuts your hair every couple of weeks, or you go to a friend who is a real estate agent and say, I've opened up my influencer agency and here's my process for $500. I will record these videos. And here's an example of some of the videos that I've made. I will set up your YouTube channel. I will post on your Facebook and on your website. And not just because I'm going to post three times per week, because that's like what a robot can do, right? But I will measure it to sales. I will drive it to phone calls and in-store visits because I've gone through the certification where I'm going to help you produce that content and I'm going to run ads against it. And I'm going to measure how many 
people come to your website. I'm going to measure how many phone calls we're driving. I'm going to measure how many people are looking for you, maps and directions. I'm going to see what you rank on in chiropractor Saratoga, New York, right? Here, these two other chiropractors rank ahead of you. I'm going to help you rank ahead of them. And all of that, I'm going to drive business results for you. And you know how easy it is to determine how many phone calls a business is getting? So easy. You don't even have to install CallRail. You don't even have to use a third-party software. We're teaching folks to use, and almost no agencies do this for some reason. We're teaching these young adults to use Google My Business. Because Google My Business, when you look in the activity section, it shows you how many phone calls there are, how many search results you have, how many website visits you have, how many people clicked on maps and directions, right? So when we get these young adults to create content, we see the impact in the Google My Business listing. Right. And, and kind of taking a step back and thinking about, about labor and kind of what this represents from, from a bigger picture perspective in terms of opportunities for, for jobs. I guess what, what I keep running into, uh, and this isn't downplaying what you guys are doing because it sounds really compelling and it sounds like it's opening up a lot of opportunities. Just so much of it feels like entrepreneurship to me where kind of what you know what you're describing mm-hmm. is is a as a path by which a young adult or whomever can become an entrepreneur. You know, developing an agency, mm-hmm. developing a process, going out and selling it. Which obviously I'm for. You're for. We're, we both run companies. But I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is where where are there opportunities for actual tangible jobs for people? You know, and it yeah. seems like I've I've trouble finding that a lot these days. Where it's like, what what is an actual new job that's being yeah. created? From this, if that makes sense, something the job I believe is going away. Yeah, Yeah. you have because even if we, you know, so we hire a bunch of people. I guess technically those are jobs, but we don't want people who just sit there. We want people who are smart. We want people who they can solve problems. I mean, yes, you have to follow the checklist, but you have to intelligently follow the checklist. It's not some mindless thing. That's otherwise we'd have a robot do it, right? We have people that will send out notes saying, "Hey, let's schedule an onboarding call." so that we can get your digital plumbing in place. And they literally take that message and they paste it across all the clients. We'll say, no, you can't do that. Yes, that's the template. But remember, you have to add in a sentence saying, oh, I I saw that post you made about the gingerbread house that you got. That is so awesome. And we'd like to schedule your onboarding call for next week. Please click the link below to schedule a time. And thus the, the ability to think creatively is what's causing most jobs to be out of reach for people because it requires some level of tool expertise and some level of humanity. So yes, you're right that there's an entrepreneurship angle where most of the jobs out there are start your own business serving agencies or or serving or starting an agency. But we think the new job that no one's talking about is being an intrapreneur. So when you're inside a company, how do you drive results? And if you're not hungry to drive results for your boss, for the company that you work at, then eventually that company's not going to want to have you there, or they're going to hire other people that can drive results on behalf of their clients. So think of it like we have an agency, we have several agencies, but our main one is Cairo Revenue, where we're helping chiropractors grow their business. And we're, we're bringing in people as entrepreneurs, as apprentices, where they have a micro business inside our agency, and they have a group of clients. Maybe Dan, let's say you started with our company and you go through the training qualification and we give you five clients. So you now have a business inside our business. And your job, Dan, is to take as best care as you can of those five clients that we assign to you. You need to drive them sales. You need to make sure the client's happy. You need to collect content from them. You need to tune their ads You need or delegate that out to other people like the VAs on the team that are doing that. And your job is, is, is to grow those so then 
they'll pay us more money and we'll give you more clients. And then as you're successful, you'll train up other people that are on your team so that you don't have to service every one of the clients yourself. But initially you did, which is what we call learn, do, teach. Because you can't be a boss of somebody unless you understand what they're doing. So I believe that that apprentice model, what we call being an entrepreneur, is a mix of being an employee because you're, st- you're working, like by definition, you're, you're an employee because you're working inside someone else's business. But you have the benefits of entrepreneurship because you can you have something that you can play with and you need to drive results and it's measurable and you can earn bonuses and you can level up. So you have the best of both worlds. Instead of you're all on your own, you have to start this business. You have no brand, you have no name, you have no process, you have no money, you have no clients. Go ahead and Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, just start your business because you need to hustle. Well, that's likely going to fail because you don't know what you're doing. You don't have a team of people who's there to support you when you get in trouble. You don't have processes, right? So imagine opening a franchise. If you wanted to what town are you in? Uh, I'm in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Is there a, there's no in and out, but maybe there's a five guys, right? Or is there a Fortunately, there's, there's no in and out. Yeah. That's, that's, I went to college in Santa Cruz. So I, I miss it. So, you know, time. right? Yeah. So imagine but, uh, we have Shake Shack is probably the, the local, okay. the local but, version, right? But let's say, let's say, imagine you, there was no in and out and you wanted to open an in and out. So, and, and the in and out allowed you to have a license, even though I don't think there's any on the East coast, right? And right. you opened up, what, what would do better if you opened up an in and out following their processes or you opened up Dan's hamburgers, right? Who's going to do better? in and out will probably do better. <laughs> yeah. And in that case, you are an entrepreneur because right. you're leveraging someone else's brand, someone else's existing process. It makes it easier, but you still own a business. You still are responsible for hiring the employees for making sure the bathrooms are clean, for making sure that your customers are being taken care of, right? That is the blended model. I think that's going to succeed in the next five years. We need to train and find entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more, especially the apprenticeship angle. And it's, it's also not a new thing. I mean, there were apprenticeships for, for centuries, oh, yeah. millennia, Century, and then we yeah. kind of forgot about it sometime, you know, in the industrial age. And now it's yeah. hopefully coming back again. It's so this might there. be, yeah, yeah, instead of the MBA, so for some reason, yeah. there's been this cult of entrepreneurship in the United States in the last right. 20 years. But you're right. It's going back to the way the world always has been as apprentices. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's kind of funny because what you always hear is, you know, and of course, there there is some people that might abuse, you know, the internships they give or not give yeah. people enough opportunity. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Right. Well, that gets way scrutiny. Than, than it should. I mean, the amount of value even a good unpaid internship can give somebody is yeah. way more massive than what a, you know, a six-figure master's degree often does, right? So mm-hmm. uh, people go into debt for 20 years and all that, that stuff. Yeah. So I, this might be a tougher question, but I guess do you, you, you're obviously recruiting talent all the time. You're looking for the best talent mm-hmm. on the supply side of your business. If you could wave a magic wand and, and get people with a foundation of skills, you know, what would that look like? Is there if you wish that the U S educational system or beyond yeah. U S did things better, yeah. like where, how, how what would that, what would that look like? Your, I don't even hate on the education system. We work with a number of schools and I'm not just saying this because we work with the number of schools that feed us the very best of the best. I want folks who can get stuff done according to checklists and whatever their area is, maybe they love video. Maybe they're creative. Maybe they're good at tuning ads. We're always looking for people who get stuff done, because the way I see it is if you can win is in you're someone who literally can do things correctly, then 
if we feed you, think of it like a, a player piano, right? Where you feed in a piece of sheet music and it plays classical music. You feed in another piece of music, you know, it, it plays rock and roll, right? Then anyone who can follow directions and understands how to paint by the numbers or execute the recipe appropriately to get that particular dish, we can feed them another recipe. And the more recipes they have, they eventually become a Gordon Ramsay master chef. And I think it doesn't really matter what the recipe is, what they start with. As long as they understand the idea of checklists and frameworks, then eventually they could increase the repertoire of things that they can do and start to help us build out more recipes. Ultimately, we would like to hire people who can help us enhance our menu, help us enhance our process and train up other people. But we believe that you have to start as a worker inside the system before you can be a big boss and speak on stage and have this big lifestyle and all that you have. Otherwise you don't have empathy and you don't have the necessary skill. So we're looking for servant leaders, meaning they're willing to do the work. We get a lot of people who come in saying, I've got 20 years of experience in marketing and I used to do it. I don't care how you did it in your previous company. And they don't want, if they don't want to do it our way, if they don't want to follow the, the process or checklist, they're not going to set a good example for other people. So that goes back to the apprentice model, which is you learn from someone who's senior, you have some level of humility to, because you have respect for a mentor that teaches you these things. And you get to the point where you're executing the craft so well that you can mentor other people and improve the process. That's what we want. I don't care where people started. We've had people, for example, uh, Max Darby at our team started 14 years ago with me. And he started as an engineer building websites. Now he's our star content editor. How many engineers do you know that are great copywriters, right? So anybody yeah. can move in any area, but they have to demonstrate success to be able to keep leveling up. And that's what the idea of, of that is like a black belt, right? So if you do karate, you start with a white belt, the yellow belt, the green belt, the orange belt, right? You're not going to get your black belt next weekend. You're not going to be an expert digital marketer by next weekend. Right. And I, I, I like that built in as part of the, the pitch. Cause it's like, I've talked about this with my friends, the Navy SEALs don't have to market themselves. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, people are beating down the door to be a Navy SEAL and nobody thinks it's going to be easy. Everybody knows it's going to be the hardest thing yeah. they've ever had to do. So I, I don't know why so many of these, uh, of these processes have to make everything look easy all the time. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and, you know, I guess kind of, you know, kind of getting, getting towards the, the end of our time, I, I'd love to just talk about current events a little bit. We're recording yeah. this right before the holidays, December 22nd. So who knows how things will have played out when we go live, but I love, I love for you to weigh in on the Apple FB fight a little bit more. Like if this actually does, you know, happen the way we think it does, and then nobody can give Facebook their data and nobody mm -hmm. can retarget each other. Yeah. How does that affect a business like yours? What does that, what does that mean? Yeah. Look, we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket and I'm surprised Facebook has been able to get away with what they've gotten away with for so long with regulators, with privacy, fighting Apple. And it's almost like Mark Zuckerberg is too big for his britches. Because what was the, it was something ridiculous. Like Facebook was spending, was it three or $4 billion a month in legal fees, hiring lawyers. And that's not even including the PR machine to run all the different ads and this army of PR people. And I know this because I would publish an article on a high profile site talking about 
Facebook's programs or ad ad systems or some new feature they have. And then their PR people would just immediately reach out to me and say, no, you can't say it this way. You need to say this word and how you describe this particular feature. And I'm thinking, good grief. I don't work for you guys. And they've been above the law because they have all the data. They control the newsfeed, which is very hard to audit. If you're the government, how are you going to audit? If Even if you're you and me, Dan, we're digital marketing experts, how are we going to audit what Facebook's doing? It's very hard to. They have too much power, too much control. So if, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but there's a high likelihood that Instagram and WhatsApp are going to be split out in the same way that the airlines got deregulated in the 80s, in the same way that Ma Bell was, was busted apart right earlier than that. And that means we need to, if we're agencies and we're doing stuff on Facebook, we need to copy those over into TikTok and Snapchat and YouTube. So we've been preaching the one minute video and different ways to do the one minute video. Guess what YouTube shorts is? It repurposes exactly the same one minute video that's worked well on Facebook. You can do it on Twitter. You can sort of do it on LinkedIn, but you, you want to have multiple places that you're putting your content out there because Facebook is likely going to get shut down with this Apple thing. They're going to fight it with all their lawyers and not going to realize that the reason they're going to lose is because when they say in their ad campaigns, as they have, you, you guys will see all the ads everywhere from Facebook saying, because we support small business and because, you know, Apple's so greedy, we're trying to help you guys out. You know, we're trying to stand up for you. That's why we're putting up these ads because we care so much about small business. Bull crap. Facebook has never really cared about small business. That's why they don't hire more account managers. So what I'm looking at is how do I make sure that in the event my Facebook ad campaigns don't work anymore or I get shut down, will I still be okay? Because I'm smart enough to have my Google ads running and my YouTube ads, and I'm copying my campaigns over to TikTok and Snapchat. Full disclosure, we have courses with Snapchat and TikTok on how to build ads that we've released for free because Snapchat and TikTok reached out to us saying, Hey, you guys have been really good at recruiting for Facebook, talking about how to do Facebook ads. Can you do the same thing for TikTok, for example, because we built the same framework. So anyone who's built Facebook ads, they can easily import their ads over into TikTok. It's based on the same model. We even hired away some of their engineers. We built the same thing, right? Which is exactly what Facebook did to Snapchat with Instagram, right? <laughs> Couldn't buy Insta, couldn't buy Snapchat, so they just went ahead and copied everything in the Instagram, and you know that's that's what happened. So it's sort of fitting. It's like this this um, you know revenge kind of thing that comes back to you, right? So we're looking at how do we balance so that we're still driving sales and wherever the wherever the underlying consumers are, like people who have back pain, they're getting car accidents, you know, they need to see a chiropractor. Those people, if they're spending more time on YouTube then we're going to be running our ads on YouTube. If they're spending their time inside Google search or they're on Twitter or they're on clubhouse or wherever it is, wherever they are is where we're going to run our ads. And so it, we're not even, we don't even need to be perfect crystal ball forecast fortune tellers. We just need to make sure that we are covering our ad budget and effort in proportion to where the attention is. So let's say that, you know, clubhouse is this hot new thing, but it's only 1% of the amount of available attention, I'm going to put 1% of my effort in the clubhouse because we're, we're not trying to, you know, jump on the next new thing and be cool because we're here to drive sales for our clients and wherever their people are. So we don't have to be ahead. You'll hear. So if you're an industry pundit, you need to keep talking about the latest thing and the latest news, which will cause agencies and business owners to believe they need to do those same things too. 
because of FOMO, I think most of that is garbage because it causes people to chase too many things that don't work that are too new. Just stick with the things that work. That being said, you might say, yeah, but you just contradicted yourself because you're, you're saying, yeah, even though Facebook has been where you spent a lot, a lot of your money, why are you saying doing these other platforms? It's because Facebook's cost has increased relative to YouTube and other channels. We're going to reweight our ad budget according to where attention is. And people are starting to leave Facebook because of the various things that have happened. And, you know, whether or not you believe Facebook is able to manipulate elections or Mark Zuckerberg can turn the knob on what people see in their newsfeed, who knows, right? But the fact is that Facebook is now a mature network. And in the same way, when I was at Yahoo, Yahoo was a mature network. And then Google came along and became a bigger search engine than Yahoo. But we still run ads on Google, Bing, and Yahoo. So if we're running social ads on Facebook, we're still going to run ads on the other social networks. We're going to copy it over. If you run ads on Google, you know that you can copy it over to Bing and Yahoo. If you run ads on Facebook, you're going to run ads on YouTube and TikTok, right? Right. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't sound contradictory to me. You're you're basically building a diversified portfolio and and hedging and doing the things you should. Um, And I guess, with that in mind, what, what sort of weight do you put on direct marketing, right? Like, how much do you think your clients should be looking to, to own the data, looking to sort of just remove overall platform risk? I think that's really hard to say because it depends on industry. We look at any particular client and see what is already working for them. So if a particular channel is working well for them, let's say it's Instagram or maybe it's TV or, you know, billboards work in certain instances, right? Whatever's working we want to do more of that. So when we analyze a client's strategy and a strategy, you can break down into the components of goals, content, and targeting. So the particular goals driven by content and targeting combinations. So what are those particular pieces of content and the targeting? Where are they showing to who? We literally want to take more of that. And the idea of the social amplification engine, which is what we teach is how do we find the winners and amplify that? I don't want to try to do new things. If I find something is working well, let's say, for example, on Facebook, a particular kind of offer or a particular kind of product or a particular creative is working well on Facebook, I'm going to try to find, I'm going to replicate that content and that targeting into other places. Maybe I find that those buyers are on Etsy. If I can target those same people that are over here on Facebook, I'm I'm going to replicate the content and targeting into the keywords on Google search that also approximate that same target. I'm going to take that same content and translate it into a blog post so that I can rank on Google organic. I'm going to take what's working, which is that the goals, content and targeting combinations and replicate that into other channels. I can literally take a one minute Facebook video and replicate that and put it as a YouTube short. I can take something that's worked well on YouTube and turn it into a blog post and cross post it to Facebook. Anything that's working well on one channel, I can find a way to replicate that into another channel. So I don't see that as a direct marketing thing. If I find that, you know, outdoor or, you know, sponsoring the local little league or, you know, any other kind of offline marketing is working well, I'm going to take that same message and create a video around it and now use it all across digital. Right. That makes sense. And you're, and I love the, the restaurant metaphor from earlier, cause that's, it's such a good way to kind of like couple the, the creative with the process based stuff, yes. you know, and with the discipline and, and everything else that uh, gets mixed together in a restaurant. Right. So I think that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. 
Awesome. Dennis, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, what's the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? LinkedIn. <laughs> Hit me up on LinkedIn because I'm interested in professional connections. If you're an actual friend of mine and we've met, you can hit me up on Facebook, but I'm at the limit of 5,000. And I would love to see you guys grow your businesses, grow your agencies, hire more apprentices. Let me know what you guys think. I'm always learning from other people. And Dan, hey, it's been a pleasure being with you. Yeah, likewise, man. Enjoy the holidays. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. If you would like to get access to 10 effective agency-to-brand email outreach templates, again, this is a way to get inspired and open doors tastefully with your future dream clients by learning from real campaigns. So if you'd like to get access to that, you can go to saleschema.com slash templates, plural. Again, that's saleschema.com slash templates. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you.